There are nearly 2 million women veterans who served and deserve the best care anywhere. VA is dedicated to meeting the unique needs of all women veterans. VA offers comprehensive primary care and women's health specialty care. Women veterans who are interested in receiving care at VA should call the Women Veterans Call Center at 855-VA-WOMEN or contact the nearest VA Medical Center and ask for the Women Veterans Program Manager. Visit www.va.gov slash womenvet. Hello, everyone. I'm Timothy Lawson, and you're listening to This Week at VA. This week's guest is retired Army Major General D. McWilliams, who currently serves as the president at Women in Military Service for America Memorial. Before we get into our discussion with her, I want to highlight a few questions that came up during a Facebook chat that we had earlier this week. Our chat was featured on the American Legion Facebook page and addressed burial benefits provided by VA. Here are a few of those questions. Number one. Who can apply for a pre-need burial eligibility determination? Veterans and spouses can apply for pre-need burial eligibility determination. Family members, authorized representatives, and agents can apply on behalf of eligible claimants. You can learn more at explore.va.gov. Just click on Memorial Benefits. Number two, how long does it take for eligibility determination? Well, NCA's goal is to respond within 30 days, but if you haven't heard a response in or after 30 days, follow up with them. Number three, are dependent children able to apply for eligibility? Well, if a veteran is eligible for burial in a VA National Cemetery, his or her minor children are eligible if unmarried, under the age of 21, or under the age of 23, and enrolled full-time in an approved education institution. Unmarried adult children with disabilities are also eligible. If you want more info or want to see more of the Q&A, go to American Legion's Facebook page at facebook.com slash HQ. Scroll down a little and you'll see the Explore VA post and forum from April 18th. You can also go to explore.va.gov for more information on memorial benefits. Today's feature interview is with Dee McWilliams. I met Dee at the Women in Military Service for America Memorial at Arlington National Cemetery. It's a brilliant memorial at the end of the road as you approach the gates of the cemetery. It was my first time inside and I was truly amazed by its layout, its decoration, and some of the things that they had there on display. It's a great dedication to our women in service and our women veterans. Dee and I sat at the Winza conference room and talked about her long tour of service in the military, her retirement, and her work now as president of Wimsa. Enjoy. Dee McWilliams. Yes. Uh, retired as a major general from the Army. Yes. Um, you uh, served 23 years? Did I, did I, did I, did I, no, right almost now? 30. Almost 29 almost plus. 29, there we go. Yeah. Okay. Um, retired in 2003. Yes. Um, but let's go back to that moment that we all have in common, that is joining the United States military. Uh, why did D. McWilliams join the military? I joined the military because I was married to a guy, uh, my college sweetheart, who got drafted and sent to Vietnam and got a direct commission from Vietnam and came back as a lieutenant and had to stay in three more years. And I was teaching in college uh, when he was doing that. Well, we had to move for six months for his uh, training uh, to be an artillery lieutenant. 
And then we had to move again, the good old PCS. And I, I couldn't, you just can't find a job teaching in college moving that frequently and uh, they're not always open. And so I was kind of getting down in the mouth and saying, you know, are, are you, after this three years, you're going to get out, right? Well, no, I really like it. And he loved the Army. And so he came home one day and said, you have an appointment to see the recruiter. And I said, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> he goes, yeah, just go talk to this guy. And when I came in, women couldn't be in ROTC or go to the academies. Right. That didn't start until a couple of years later. And if you had a degree and some job experience, you could apply the good old military, fill out this form, uh, and uh, send it in to Washington, and they would conduct some administrative board and pick, for my particular class, they picked 82 women to go to an officer basic course. And so I call it the postcard commission because uh, they sent me a postcard and said, sign this postcard, find someone to swear you in and you will be a lieutenant on that day. So with hair uh, halfway down my back and civilian clothes, I raised my right hand and became a lieutenant. And then I went to Fort McClellan, Alabama for training. I can't remember who it was. I, I want to say it was Bill Roush over at Got Your Six, but he, uh, I may have that wrong. One of my recent podcast guests actually has a story of finding one of those old postcards and using that as his lead into discovering about the academy. Wow. Yeah, I think it was Bill. Uh, uh, yeah, huh. but it's, yeah, so those postcards still exist. Yeah, so. I guess they do. Yeah. So, uh, and then I uh, came in and went into personnel, our adjutant general's corps. Now people call it HR, but I'll probably refer to it as personnel. Sure. Uh, people. And my degrees were in sociology and psychology. And I thought, wow, this is interesting. I've got a million and a half people in my lab. And so uh, I found that I liked the military. And uh, so I stayed. And had an illustrious 29-year uh, uh, career. That could be debatable. <laughs> okay. Well, um, I know that's a, that's a long time to account for uh, a full 29 years, so I'm not going to ask for the entire uh, front to back, but is there an experience or story that you think is sort of the epitome of your service, maybe something that like, really sums up uh, your time in? Uh, I don't know, but I can sum up that almost 30 years quickly for you. Sure. Uh, every job I had, except the first one and the last one, I was the first woman to have that job. Wow. Yeah. And then I commanded four companies, very rare for a personnel officer, a battalion and a brigade. Wow. So I had a lot of time with soldiers. What was, what was the response from your male counterparts each time you became the first woman to have that job? They may not have known it. Okay. Uh, most frequently I would get uh, from bosses, I've never had a woman work for me. I, I don't know exactly how to treat you. And I said, well, just treat me like the guys and we'll see what happens. And how'd that work out? Yeah. Yeah. Some of them were a little, you know, they just didn't know what to do with me yeah. because I was a girl. Yeah. Uh, but. Once I could establish some credibility, and I, I think any young lieutenant or uh, someone new to an office, it doesn't matter if they're a man or a woman, or a woman, they might they have some trouble 
convincing your boss that, yeah, I can really do this job. Yeah. And if you'll stay out of my hair, I can do it better. <laughs> but uh, some of the people who worked for me, I, I would have people after they felt comfortable enough, they would say, I've never had a woman as a boss. Yeah. And I would say, I never have either. I said, so we're both going to go through sure. this. Sure. Yeah, that's so, a good point. Yeah. Yeah. I just approached it with uh, humor in a way. Yeah. How did you prepare for retirement? Um, I ask that because most of the, you know, a lot of the veterans I talk to are one or two, two, two year or two tour veterans. Um, you went uh, almost a full thirty. Um, how far out did you know that uh, know your retirement? Like, uh, well, I wanted to get out as I approached the ten year mark because <laughs> okay. that's the scary one to everyone. Yeah. Once I get over ten years, You're it's stupid. No. Not to stay 10 more yeah. uh, and get that retirement in your pocket. Uh, but when I was nearing the 10-year mark, I was in an assignment in an ROTC unit in a small town. And to, to take time away from the job to go for interviews and things like that, I just didn't, I couldn't, although I had enough leave, I really couldn't be gone from the job. And so um, I stayed. Uh, because I didn't have enough time to look for a job. That's a silly excuse, but I stayed. And, and while that cycle was going through my mind, I got selected for the Command and General Staff College, which is uh, kind of the premier thing for a major to do. Mm -hmm. And so I went to that. Well, you owe the military two years for attending that school. And then I got selected for battalion command, well, if you take that, and at that time, by that time, I was approaching uh, the 20-year mark. And if you took the battalion command job, you had to pay back two years. Then you get selected for something else and you have to pay back, then you get promoted. And I was always in a, you know, do I complete brigade command yet retire as a lieutenant colonel because I don't have enough time as a colonel. Right. And so I was sort of caught. I could have, if I really wanted out, uh, I could have gotten out. And I always told myself, if I had two bad days in a row, in 19 years, I would get out. I'm that true enough to how I feel about something. Uh, but I love the people I worked with. I enjoyed uh, seeing uh, soldiers I had known as privates, and they had never gone to college. And uh, every time we had a new soldier come in, I would talk with them because I was their commander. And I would say, I noticed you haven't been to college. No, I'm not going to go to college. I said, well, you know, if you stay in the military, you get more promotion points for college. And it's free. Yeah. Uh, we have tuition assistance and the GI Bill. And you can take colleges at noon. We call them brown bag uh, classes. And you don't miss any work time. You're not at, at night. Why don't you just take one? And I would see those people 15 years later and they'd have a master's degree. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, and, and say, you know, if you hadn't kind of weaned me into taking this class, uh, I never would have started. Sure. It's the starting. So I would try to find out by talking to them when they would first come in what I thought personally and professionally they needed 
for preparation for the rest of their life. And I would try to get them to take the first bite. And I would pass them later, you know, a couple of months later and say, did you start school yet? No, ma'am, I'm gonna go next semester. I said, it's not an order. I just am curious, I'm, I, I care about you. Yeah. And so uh, that was uh, the reward to me that kept me uh, in the military. Yeah. And it, not just helping the people that worked for me and getting to know them and getting to know what their talents were. And to me, the challenge was, of course, this is my uh, human behavior lab, to pick out the best person for the best job. This guy is better than being somebody's driver. He holds this MOS, and he ought to have a challenging job there. Mm -hmm. And so you work a deal to get him over somewhere else and just watch them blossom. And you see the returns uh, in your organization from when you challenge people and let them feel good about what they're doing. Yeah. Uh, another thing that I thought was important, no matter how junior a person is in a job, they need to know what that job, their daily grind, has to do with the product of the unit. And ours was personnel service, taking care of all the soldiers on a post and how that would impact their families and things like that. Yeah, I know, you only take ID cards. You make pictures for ID cards all day. And everybody's in a hurry and nobody wants to wait. But here's what that ID card does for the kids, for mom, for, and, and I would explain the medical things. And I said, it's really important to those people. Yeah. And don't worry, you're not gonna be taking pictures all your life. This is your probably nine to 15 month job. You know, let me know what you want to do, and I'll see if I can't get you into that job later. And then go back, and the guy said, "I like this taking pictures thing." <laughs> I said, "Okay," uh, but I always want—I wanted everybody. I can't say I wanted everybody to be happy. I wanted everyone to feel fulfilled. Yeah. And you can understand the implications of that if you feel good about what you're doing, even though you know you're only going to stay in the military for four years. You know that was your little piece of national security. That's what you did for America. Uh, most of the time that I, I was in, there was no combat. Uh, deployments to lots of places, mostly for exercises or peacekeeping, something like that. But, well, Grenada happened, but it was very short. Desert Storm, it was very short. Uh, there was always something going on in Korea. But, um, so we didn't have people with a lot of deployment time to combat. Uh, so there's plenty of time for them to uh, learn their soldiering skills, get leadership skills. That's another thing I looked for. Uh, the young officers and the, and the folks, especially just making sergeant, trying to get them into the right leadership opportunity to see if they really had it and they could develop as a leader because that sort of determines your potential in the military. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I always told everybody, I really didn't have a job. I went to meetings and they did the work. Uh, but my job was to put the right workers in the right jobs, make sure they were trained. Uh, and things would, I didn't have to work. Yeah. 
You mentioned that uh, you know if you had two bad days in a row, um, my fiance's uh, uncle had to deal with himself that if he had three bad days in a row, he'd quit. So he took every Wednesday off. <laughs> <laughs> That's the way to do it. But you're a soldier, 24 hours a day. Yeah. So it's yeah. really weekends too. But I, I don't mean personal bad sure, days. Sure. Sure. But. You know, I just thought, I do not want to work, go to work today. I hate my boss. I hate this. But the good thing about the military is the boss you hate is going to leave soon. Yeah. And if you work it right, uh, you might get yourself into a position where you don't hate your boss. Yeah. You start looking for the good qualities in the boss. Sure. And try new ways uh, for the boss to be able to show that you're competent and you're a part of the organization. How much, so it sounds like your career was sort of touch and go on, on whether or not, like how long you were gonna still be in, right? You had to make these decisions of getting offers, thing. so like how much lead time did you have to prepare to retire, and then when you did, did you feel like you were prepared? I didn't have a lot of leave time. I was stationed in Europe, and uh, I got an offer to come back to the Pentagon, and I had just left the Pentagon not long before that. And there was a factor in this. Um, I was, 36 people I know were killed in 9-11. And I was in the building until about 20 minutes before that and went to a meeting across the street and went up the elevator to a high floor in Pentagon City and looked across South, Par uh, South Parking and saw that it was my office that got hit. And my first thought was everyone I know has been killed. My boss, Lieutenant General Maud, the senior guy that got killed that day, my secretary, people I had brought to the Pentagon to have a specific job. And I don't think that I was emotionally ready to go back to the Pentagon. That, that was a big factor. Uh, there were other ones. Uh, I was mid-50s, and I thought, okay, that's three more years. I'm getting older, I need to get a life, I'm single, I would like to meet someone, I'm PCSing every year and a half, and, and about the time you meet friends, it's time to leave. Yeah. Because you don't walk in on day one and have a nice set of close friends. Uh, so I, I kind of started selfishly thinking about my life and thinking, well, you know, the Army's gonna end one day. And when you walk away, there's not even a ripple in the pond. Yeah. There's someone in behind you who's maybe even better. So while you're young enough, maybe you ought to get out and travel. You can still walk, you're not in a wheelchair. You can still rent a car, you're not yeah. too old. And I thought, yeah, it's time. And that was about four or five months before okay. the date I'd chosen uh, to retire. And uh, as I said, I was in Europe, so I didn't look for a job. I didn't really want to know, uh, you know, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I had been so busy working long hours in the Pentagon and moving to Europe that, that I hadn't had time to think about it. And, but I'd already picked a retirement date, so by doggies I was going to retire. Yeah. And I got a call from a retired four-star general. I did not know this man. But he said that he had been contacted by the secretary of the VA, and they were looking for an undersecretary. And my name came up. I guess they were catching some heat about not having 
any senior women in the VA. And so I said, no, nah, I don't want to do that. I, want, I just want to retire. And he goes, well, no, no, you really need to do it. I told him you would do it. And I said, I told oh, you okay. Do and I said, well, look, I'm coming back to Washington to Walter Reed uh, next week for, him, so, for my retirement physical. And if they want to talk to me, this is the hotel I'll be in. Well, when I came in, the button was flashing on the phone. And I went in to see the secretary and two days later. And um, he said, well, come on over uh, and you know, we'll hire you as a contractor or a consultant for 30 days. And you can look around and see uh, what you think about the VA and if you want to do this. OK. So I stayed in a friend's basement mother-in-law apartment uh, for, for a month. And during that month, uh, the president's staff decided that some congressman's brother needed to do this. And so the secretary says, well, I don't have that one, but I've got this HR job for you. And I said, I really don't know anything about civilian personnel. Mm -hmm. And so I'm honored, but no thanks. So there I was without a job. So I, on the metro, on the way home, I met up with a retired guy that I knew that was in one of the big defense contracting offices. And he goes, so how's the thing at the VA? I said, I just quit. He said, oh, good, you can come work for me. So for a couple of years, I worked as a consultant in a defense uh, firm. And then uh, I got a call. I was just about ready to quit again. You know, my, the age thing was creeping up on me, and I kept thinking, I got to go on vacation. Yeah. So uh, I got a call from a guy who said, we want you to come. They had just established the director of national intelligence, which is sort of like homeland security for the intelligence agencies. And we want you to come over and start our HR department. I said, no. Let's go to lunch. I went to lunch, and then he started talking money, and it was more money than I ever made in the Army. And I thought, well, you know, I can do it. I said, I will come for a year. I'll set up your regulations, hire my replacement, get everything in place. And because the law said that they would, uh, the intelligence community's personnel management system would reflect Goldwater Nichols, which is the joint duty uh, part of mil military law, DOD law. And so, I guess that's why they came to me. They knew I could. And so I did that in a year. I, was, I put in my resignation. They said, no, 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 you can't go. I said, yeah, there's my replacement. And he's good. Uh, they said, we want you to start a lessons learned center. Well, the military does great lessons learned. And I said, no. The next day, the guy came back. I said, OK, well, I want five GS-15s handpicked by me and $10 million for my budget. And I don't want to be micromanaged. The guy said, you got it. Huh. Wow. I didn't think he would do it. <laughs> so I picked my guys, uh -huh. and we. Uh, and I want a unicorn. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's right, and a, at the end of the rainbow. Yeah. And I, uh, we started doing lessons learned in the intelligence community. The most interesting thing I have ever done. Hmm. So it's very interesting, and I, I ended up in, and stayed there for five years. And uh, well, a little. Earlier than that, I, I had lunch with a friend who worked in HR, and I said, I'm out of here. I really have got to get a life. I'm going to keep taking these jobs, and, you know, they're fun, but, and she said, how long have you been here? I said, four and a half years. She goes, you idiot. If you stay for five years, 
you get a retirement. I said, a retirement? She says, the government rules are if you're 55 or over and you stay for five years, you get some little meager percentage of your retirement. I said, oh yeah, for six months I can probably do this. Yeah, right. Why not? It worked for me. Yeah. And I, I, I did get to meet a lot of interesting people and do a lot of interesting things. So then I retired. Then you retired. And I guess I had a little bit of time retirement when I came back before I went to the VA. And I didn't like it. I didn't do well. I didn't have a plan. I uh, sat around in my jammies till 3 o'clock, uh, gained 10 pounds, and played computer games. <laughs> uh, well, you know, you're going busy, yeah. busy, 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 and all of a sudden there's nothing. And so I said, okay, this time you have to have a plan. So I had a plan. First thing I did, I went to Europe for three weeks. Then I came back and I got involved in some volunteer work and this and that and things. I had a plan. I had a reason to get up at least four days a week. Yeah. And so uh, that worked. And so I was at a point where I would take three or four or five trips to Europe every year different parts of Europe, parts uh, behind the Iron Curtain uh, that when I was there as a young lieutenant, we couldn't go to. Yeah. And so uh, it was very interesting seeing Eastern Europe. And then I uh, was on the board of the Army Women's Foundation. Actually, I was the president of the Army Women's Foundation. And we raised scholarships for uh, Army women who had served in the Army or their children. So even some guys got scholarships yeah. if you're the son of Someone who wears com a woman who wears combat boots, yeah. you were eligible for a scholarship, and we brought that from a five thousand dollar a year program to a hundred thousand dollar a year program, and then I was approached to take over uh, WIMSA, the Women in Memorial Service for America, the memorials at the entrance of Arlington Cemetery. It's the only military memorial in the world that's just to women. Yeah. Uh, and it's for all service. Most people think, oh, it's a memorial. That's just uh, for dead people. Yeah. It's at Arlington Cemetery. It's just for dead people. No, it's a living memorial. Mm -hmm. We have a register at the memorial where uh, any woman who has been in any of the services can uh, tell their story, put one, a picture of themselves uh, with the dates of service, their uh, service ribbons, awards, and a story about what they did when they were in the military. And it's amazing to see, especially in summer when we have a lot of tourists, families come in and all of a sudden you'll hear the eight-year-old yell, wow, grandma really was in the Navy. <laughs> so it's, it's really cool. Yeah. But to me, the Women's Memorial is the only place that my story will ever be kept. Yeah. No, I'm never, I'm never going to write a book about what I did in the military, and nobody's going to ever put me in their book because I worked in personnel. I did nothing significant, and, and that's my thinking on that. Right. But I can tell a little story about something that happened to me in the military, and that's something that, especially today's women, who I mean, the contemporary women who are in the service now, who are who have just gotten out. It's their memorial, and it's a living memorial. If you come in the Marine Corps as a private, you're one of the first women who goes into infantry or something like that. You can write a story up about that. Sure. And then later, when you make E9, you can change the story. Yeah. And so you can do it online. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. 
So it's really a, a living place. And uh, the Women's Memorial uh, stopped getting congressional money in 2010 when they stopped the earmarks. Hmm. Uh, and uh, things were fine as long as they were getting a million dollars a year from Congress. But when that dried up, uh, little by little they started getting in debt. And when I came in um, about a year ago, we were $820,000 in debt and, and in, really in peril for closing the doors to the memorial, just saying we can't support it anymore. Uh, and we took some drastic measures and laid off some people at work, uh, cut back on the footprint of our offices, the space in our offices, our administrative offices, and uh, that saved about a half million dollars a year. Hmm. And our constituents, the people who are registered here, and the people who uh, donate regularly to us, to their memorial, uh, they're about 74% of where the money that comes oh, in. Oh, wow. Yeah. But uh, we sent out a letter, hey, man, we're going to close the doors. And they stepped up and uh, pulled us out of the thing. And we've reduced that debt by 63%. Truth be told, I didn't know you could come into the memorial yeah. until like two months ago. I've been to Arlington Cemetery a dozen times. I've lived in D.C. for almost five years now. I'm very familiar with the memorial existing, but it wasn't until a colleague of mine came in um, uh, during in March. There was an event here, and I saw pictures of her inside. I had no idea yeah. you could come in here. Uh, the signage could be better, but yeah. we're on Park Service land, and the Park Service owns the outside of the building. Yeah, and so there's a small sign, but we got them to agree five or six years ago uh, to a design for a larger side. Yeah. And we don't have the money to put it up. Hmm. I guess we ought to start a GoFundMe. Uh, yeah, how much money does it cost to put up that sign? I think sign? it was about $12,000. I'm sure we can find a way to raise yeah. $12,000 to, to get a sign put up so people yeah, know so people where to know. go. Yeah. But once you get in, the, the interesting thing to me about this memorial is the facade outside that you see as you come in uh, is striking enough, but it was built in, and dedicated in 1939 by Calvin Coolidge. Hmm. I mean, that's history. Yeah. It? That uh, as a gateway to, to Arlington. Yeah. Because I guess you just drove up and you drove into graves. Mm -hmm. I mean, there was no, and so someone said, we need something magnificent to honor these guys and so we need a gateway to Arlington and it was a facade just reminiscent of North Korea if you've ever been to the DMZ uh, just the outside was all that was there there was nothing in here and so uh, the women from World War II organized and started lobbying Congress to allow for a women's memorial and when they got the law passed to do that they started working with uh, the bureaucracy in the D.C. area to find a place for it and to start raising money. And the Park Service stepped up and said, why don't you use that and build back into the hill? Yeah. Because there weren't any graves here. We, nothing was disturbed in the cemetery to build this park. Right. And so they had a contest like they always do, and the architect who won decided to put contemporary insides uh, leaving the granite facade on the outside. And 
If you notice, there's a lot of glass and steel in here. Mm -hmm. uh, have you been upstairs? Not yet. Okay. On the terrace, there are glass tablets with quotations by women and about women. All of them aren't full because it, like the register, is part of a living memorial. As things happen to women and as uh, notable people have quotes about things that women have done in the military, we can put them on a glass tablet up there. A question I ask uh, most people on the show, when you transitioned out of the military, did you experience any sort of emotional crisis like many veterans do when leaving the military? I've never admitted it and I, it took me a long time to admit it to myself. Sure. Yes. Yeah. When you walk in, when you're in uniform, you're part of a huge family, a historical tradition, you are a part of, let me get all televisionized here, you're part of keeping America safe. Yeah. You have buddies, you have friends. When someone would walk into my office, I knew a lot about them before they opened their mouth. I knew if they'd been to airborne, I knew the rank in their name. If they had on a class A uniform, I knew where they had been, if they had deployment ribbons, if they had gotten awards, but I knew if they'd been to ranger school, airborne school, aerosol school, had a German marksman badge, uh, which automatically I knew they'd been to Germany. I mean, there are so many signals you send by what you wear in the military and the pride in which you wear the cloth of our nation. Uh, that all of a sudden, it's not there. It's fun to run around on your jeans for a while. Not that I missed the uniform. I certainly didn't miss being a general. Uh, that was a little too high-vis for me, but, but you missed, I missed a sense of purpose. Yeah. Every day I was in the Army, I had a higher cause. I had the responsibility of taking care of, and this happens in personnel too, the person on my left and the person on my right. But as I rose in the ranks and because I commanded so many units, I was responsible for those people. All of a sudden I was responsible for myself. Uh, not the same. Yeah. I missed it. Uh, I was better prepared the second time, uh, not necessarily when I got out of the Army, but when I left the Director of National Intelligence, I knew that I had to have a plan, or I'd be back there in my jammies at three o'clock playing video games. Yeah. Uh, I still miss the people, the excitement of working with a team to get something accomplished. Uh, but I have many friends uh, that I made in the military. Uh, and by living in Washington, they, my kids still channel through here. Yeah. And uh, you know, that, that too, I guess, will, will time out. But I went to the retirement ceremony of a young woman who retired as a colonel and worked for me when she was a lieutenant. Uh, my kids are starting to retire. Yeah. But I can certainly give them advice on, on retirement, sure. which they may or may not use. Have a plan. Mm -hmm that you will 
I don't care if you stayed in four and a half years or 30 years. You have been marked by your military experience and will never feel the same way if your job doesn't offer you a higher purpose. Yeah. You can make a lot more money. You can have a lot more fame. But if you don't have a sense of a higher purpose, you as a military member, you're going to miss it. How long, you did may it not, how long did it take me? Yeah, how long did it take you to, to find that renewed purpose? Probably when I took over Wimsa. Okay. Because by doggies, this, the doors on this place were not going to close. Yeah. I owed it to the, the women who served and were serving to keep this place open for them. It's their place. It's our place. And it, it's not going to happen. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, that's a purpose. And it, it has been, I, I've lost more sleep in the past year over, are we going to have to close the doors? When am I going to have to say, uncle, I give, we can't do it. Uh, I lost more sleep in the last year worried about money. Something we don't worry about in the military. How do you raise money? Yeah. Uh, how do you manage money? Uh, which people are you going to cut when you have to cut in the staff? Um, uh, okay, I, it's taking me a long time to say this, I guess. Uh, I spent, I, I lost more sleep than I did in the whole 30 years I was in the Army. Yeah. So you don't, because you don't worry about those things. But, but I'm, I'm pretty darn determined that we're going to keep this place open. Good. And uh, that's a purpose. Yeah, that's absolutely. That's definitely a purpose. One that just fell on me. Uh, I certainly wasn't looking for uh, something uh, this difficult, but it's really been a lot of fun to see uh, the family members of people who are no longer with us, who serve. Uh, many of the women from World War II uh, came back from the war, and they mostly had administrative positions, but they would come back and get married and have a family and never talk about being in the Army or the Navy uh, to their family. Yeah. I've met several kids whose parents died and said, I didn't know mom was in the Army until she died. Wow. Yeah. What, uh, what skill set, discipline, talent did you learn in the military that you think is directly contributing to your efforts here at WIMSA? To build teams, uh, to how to look at a problem from all sides and analyze it, uh, to draw uh, the best talent you can find. And I'm talking about volunteers, not people I can pay any money to. Uh, th this past year, it's been fairly dangerous in the D.C. area, or really anywhere in the States, to know me, to have, <laughs> because I, I, when I would find out they would retire or had, I needed something in Cincinnati. Yeah. I'd call, hey, this is D. <laughs> and, uh, oh, yeah, uh, I remember when we served together 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. And I'd say, I need this. You know, I need you to go you know, to your state capitol and, and challenge your local representative to give a dollar for every veteran, in the woman veteran in the state, to us. Sure. And I'd say, okay, I've never done anything like that before. And I said, <laughs> Okay, I'll be back with you and see how you're doing. Yeah. <laughs>
But I have several friends who retired in the area, and they're almost working full time. You know, a lot of from home, coming up with ideas. I, I got general officers building uh, slides and charts and doing stuff like that. Yeah. So uh, we've had a lot of volunteers come in. Yeah. So we're trying to get an ambassador in every state. Uh, and the larger states, we want, you know, for instance, California, one in San Francisco, one in LA. And we've had a lot of retired people who have stepped up and said, I'll do that to spread the word, to get more women registered. There are almost three million women veterans, or women who have served, not living, there are two million living ones, I guess. And we only have 270,000 women registered here. Oh, wow. Well, that's less than 10% yeah. of all those who have ever served. In anybody's uh, book, that's failure. Mm -hmm. And so that's the failure part of me that says, whew, we must overcome this. Yeah. So we came up with the ambassador. Actually, it was a retired sergeant major's, sergeant's major idea uh, to do that. She called me when she found out I took over. She said, hey, I was just retired. What can I do for you? And I said, oh, let me think of something. She said, well, I, I live in Arizona, and I'm not moving to Washington. I said, oh, okay. She said, well, why can't I be an ambassador or something? She's our roving ambassador and has started uh, helping us find others in other states. Yeah. Last question. Okay. Is there a veteran or two or a veteran service organization in our community that you really admire or that has you really excited about what they're doing right now? Yes, there are several. Okay. And I'm very excited. I am not going to say their names. Okay. Because if I, if I mention one and leave out the other, uh, I'm going to catch some flack on that. Very well. Uh, but we have organizations. Uh, who are directly helping veterans, disabled veterans, get into housing, mm -hmm. uh, build housing for them. Uh, we have, I know a couple of people who have small, uh, started very small and have gotten bigger. Uh, they have bought houses, started a nonprofit, bought houses and they're housing uh, veterans. Mm -hmm. We have some that are politically active on the Hill. Sure. And I think when you look at our Congress, uh, very few of them have military service. I th we have more now than we did ten, ten years ago. Uh, we have to educate them on what veterans' needs are and what it means to be a veteran. And the important thing that we've done for our country mm -hmm. and the personal price that we paid to do it, even if you don't carry wounds from a war, even if you took four years out of your life to serve one term. You're four years behind your contemporaries in job promotions and those kinds of things. I think you're years ahead of them in the skills that you picked up in the military and the confidence you have uh, in saying, I served. I served my country. You can never take that away from me. It's mine. I yeah. did it for my country. Very cool. Steve, thank you so much for, for joining me. Thank you for your service to our, our country. Don't say that. I, I, you know what I think you should say? <laughs> what? Thank you for what you've done for our nation. Okay. That makes it more not me. When people say thank you for your service, it's almost like, yeah, I know. Somebody winds you up and you say that, and it's partly because of guilt that you didn't serve. Thank you for serving in my place so I didn't have to do it. Yeah. I, I don't know why, but it hits me that way. 
And I want to tell them, but I never do because it's rude. I just smile and say, well, you know, blush, blush. Yeah. And sometimes I say, thank you for paying your taxes because it paid my salary. Sure. And they look at you like, this lady is screwy. <laughs> but I think if people would say, thank you for what you've done for our country, mm -hmm. it's, it means more, and it means that they understand more. Okay. You've, you've now changed my vernacular. Okay, in the way good. That I, yeah. So okay. thank you for what you've done for our nation. Okay, you're welcome. And definitely thank you, for, you know, for stepping up and taking this leadership position uh, here at Wimsa. It's a, it's a very important memorial. Um, it's one of the, it's, I mean, looking at the wonderful memorials in D.C., it's right up there in, uh, in visuals and significance. And so uh, it's... This is my first time meeting you, but I can tell that they got the, they picked the right person uh, to, to well, lead the efforts. I, I, we're trying to do, we're doing a couple of new things to reach uh, people who aren't as old as I am. Uh, we have a Twitter account. Oh wow! It's called Whimsa Tweets. Okay. Or uh, you, I think you can find it at Women's Memorial. Yeah. Uh, and then we have a Facebook page. Yeah. So uh, and we 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 have a new website. So there are, there are places, and we're starting to really pick up some followers on Twitter, yeah. and we uh, put things on there about events that we're having here at the memorial. And when we find out that uh, a woman who's in any of the services has done something really significant, we put that on, on the home, you know, the web, not the web page, Facebook yeah. or Twitter. Very cool. So we're, we're trying to get out there and get in touch with all the uh, newer veterans. It's just not an old broads place anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for your time. Sure. My grandfather served in World War II. Spending time with him were the best memories of my life. I became a physician at VA because of my grandfather, so I can help others like him. I can't imagine working with better doctors or a more dedicated staff. I'm fulfilling my life's mission with the help of my team and thanks to these veterans. I'm proud to be a doctor at VA and proud to honor my grandfather every day. Search VA Careers to find out more. As you heard in the PSA at the top of the show and as I'm, heard you've, as I'm sure you've heard mentioned on this podcast, VA has an office dedicated to serve women veterans. It's called the Center for Women Veterans and it is led by Army veteran Kayla Williams. To see the efforts and initiatives that the Center for Women Veterans are pursuing and to get information on the Women's Veterans Summit they'll have later this year, go to www.va.gov slash womenvet. Today's Veteran of the Day is Air Force veteran Mary Tenor Davidson Hall. Mary commissioned as a second lieutenant in the Air Force in 1951 and served with the 601st Supply Squadron. We thank Mary for her service. To read her full write-up and to nominate your own Veteran of the Day, visit blogs.va.gov. That wraps up episode 27. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen. I know there are a lot of options out there for entertainment, so I appreciate you spending your time listening to these powerful veteran stories. Be sure to follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash veteransaffairs for more stories from our community. If you have any questions you'd like to have addressed on the show, please tweet them to us using hashtag VA podcast or email us newmedia at va.gov. I'm Timothy Lawson, signing off.